So one small benefit of there not being screens on behind me is I get to use a computer I actually know how to work. Uh, the downside is you don't get to see my fabulous PowerPoints of white words on black background. I'm going to read Acts 8. I'm going to start at uh, verse 26. If you have a Bible app, I can't say you can follow along on the screen, so if you have a Bible app or a physical Bible, and if you don't, this is a reminder, you should bring that just in case we have technical difficulties. Acts 8, I start at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage the eunuch was reading. It's Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So we are concluding, as I said at the beginning, our beautiful Messy Relationship series, and today the message is entitled, As the Spirit Leads. And this is sort of a a catch-all at the end, um, because I want to really talk about how does the Spirit lead us into relationships. This is about um, connecting with um, people we don't already know, or people who we prefer not to know, to be blunt. Um, And... It's an interesting story because for our catch-all, we're going to be looking at the story often called Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume none of you know Ethiopian eunuchs, so we really have a good kind of a generalization thing going on here. Um, I'll explain a little more about the Ethiopian eunuch, but this uh, passage lends itself to understanding a connection with someone we haven't already known or met. And the ongoing theme verse of this entire series is our relationship with Jesus is meant to reshape all of our other relationships, right? And so the idea that the Spirit is leading us includes part of our relationship with Jesus is letting the Holy Spirit lead us into new relationships or next relationships or even in directions in those relationships. And again, in a time such as this where relationships seem to be challenged, 
um, it's important that we pay attention. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? How does um, he guide us? So, the first thing I want to talk about is learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. So in my former congregation, we had as one of our core values, we did one of those things where you come up with a vision statement and mission statement like most churches do and some core values. Our number one core value for many, many years was being led by God. And about five years in and then about 10 years into that journey of having that as one of our core values, we admitted we have a really hard time being led by God. We value that in principle. We know that we should be led by God. And I would assume this community of faith and everybody listening, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know we need to be led by God. But I want to challenge you to pause and reflect for a minute on how well we do that, right? One of the reasons we're doing listening circles is because usually the way we come to any topic that has any debatable aspect to it is we come with our ideas and we come to tell our ideas, in fact, even when we're working with God, praying, how many of you spend more time listening to God, who you know is a little bit smarter and wiser than you, than you do telling God things, which he probably already knows, right? That prayer dynamic shows, again, some, we have a little bit of a bias, a little bit of a natural tendency to move towards, I will lead my life and include God in it, as opposed to, I will lead my life and let God actually lead it. I want to suggest to you that we collectively have an ongoing journey of allowing God to actually be the leader in our lives. Philip, this story goes like this. It gives us lots of um, examples or evidence of how to do this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, and that's specifically a desert road, hang on to that thought, it's important later, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Well, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if when you got up in the morning, God said, you're going to have to go to St. Catharines and go to Niagara Street, and when you get to Carleton, turn right, and the third house on your left, go in the driveway and talk to those people. Wouldn't that be great? It wouldn't, by the way. That'd be terrifying and hard, and it would mean that God would put you in places that would make you uncomfortable. I actually had a friend who, who had this sort of gifting early in his, his, after his um, conversion to following Jesus, Jesus basically said, turn left at the next corner, and he would do that and find people to talk to that way. Um, it does happen, actually. I don't know that it's the regular way. It probably isn't always the regular way, but there are times where God will give us that kind of clear instruction. Whether you get it exactly like that or simply from listening to sermons, doing your devotional activities, talking with other Christians, being led by God requires that we actually spend some time wondering, how does he speak to me? What is my openness to him um, guiding me. Philip, if you don't know that, was one of the people in Acts 6 who was so full of the Holy Spirit that they were anointed as the first leaders of the church. We sometimes call that the first deacons of the church. They were the first leaders of, of a particular ministry in the church. But he was noted to be so full of the Holy Spirit that he got anointed for that or led into that sort of job. So we need to learn to be led by God and we need to lean into what it means to be led by God. I'm on my next slide now in case that helps you. So why this guy? Why this Ethiopian eunuch? That question has fascinated and puzzled me for some time. So Philip starts out, this is the text, on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, and being Ethiopian, he was a black man, so this is my small tribute to Black History Month, if you will, and he was a eunuch, which meant that um, he had lost his male body parts. I'm gonna just be simplistic like that. Now, 
We read two weeks ago the passage where Jesus said some are made eunuchs, some are born eunuchs, and some choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Whether he was born this way or, or chose it or was made this way, we don't have any information on that, but his eunuchness um, made him actually the high-ranking official that he was because it was extremely common at that time for eunuchs um, to be given positions of high authority in a royal grouping quite simply because their lack of male body parts made them a little bit safer to work with the queen, which is who this person worked with, or a princess, or any other person in there, all right? Um, if, and if that's too complex for you, ask your neighbor, they'll explain what I'm talking about. So this eunuch, where Jesus said, some choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God, this eunuch, however he became one, was one for the sake of the kingdom of Ethiopia. Right? And so what Jesus is saying is, just like this high-ranking official needed a particular status sexually in order to be in his role and to do it as powerfully and safely as possible, so if you want to take a leading role in, in, in the kingdom of heaven, there might be things you need to give up so that you can be fully committed to what I'm doing here. And that was sort of what we were talking about last week with being single, as Paul described it. So this important official was in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, um, and that was the queen of the Ethiopians, and in Ethiopia, the, um, at that time, the king was so sacred that he didn't have any official administrative functions. Good deal, eh? You're too holy to actually do detail work. And the queen was in charge of the treasury and all the administration, and so she basically ran the country. That's how powerful of a person this is. But I started with the question, why this guy? Out of all the people that God could have sent Philip to, and, you know, we're early in the book of Acts, so there's the explosion at Pentecost, right? We haven't even got Paul on our team yet. Paul's still persecuting the Christians. And of all the people in the world, God sends Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch, a person as strange as, and as other to him as you could possibly imagine, right? So why him? Why this strange person? Hang on to that thought. We'll get to it later. So why these activities? This is what it goes on. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, had gone to Jerusalem to worship. You all know your Deuteronomy off by heart, right? So Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, anyone? Okay, if you're a eunuch, you're not allowed in the temple. So this guy travels, I don't know if you know where Ethiopia is, it's b below Egypt on the Nile, right? No airplanes, in a chariot, because we're going to learn about the chariot. Rides all the way to Jerusalem, because clearly he's a follower of God. He had somehow been connected with Judaism. We don't get his details. To worship, probably knowing that he wasn't actually, officially allowed in. Now, I know someone smart out there is probably asking the question, how do they know he was a eunuch? As, so that's why I told you earlier, the high officials had, were mostly eunuchs, um, for all the reasons I explained to you. And so the fact that he was dressed the way he was, the clothing that he wore would tell them that this was an Ethiopian or just that this was a high-ranking official. The fact that he looked like an Ethiopian would probably give away that he was an Ethiopian. And so there's probably a conversation around that. But he went to worship the God he believed in in a place where he was most likely not allowed to enter. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. I know all of us are thinking, yeah, on his way out, he thought this was great. Goes to the bookstore, grabs Isaiah, because that looked interesting. It's a nice big book. He's got a long ride home. He's going to read that on his way home. 
There was no bookstore. There were no books. You should say the scroll of Isaiah. And there weren't just like 100 scrolls of Isaiah hanging around, right? Because they rewrote them by hand very slowly, very painstakingly. And so this man had somehow gained standing in a context where he wasn't actually officially welcome and somehow got some Pharisee, some leader of, of a synagogue, to give him a copy of Isaiah. The way I've understood it is, so synagogue in this town had the book of Isaiah. Synagogue in this town had um, Genesis. They didn't even have one every, all scrolls everywhere. And so this was such a rare document that this man had found a way and probably paid a lot of money because he had the whole treasury of the candake to get this incredibly valuable document in his mind, in his hands, and reading it on his way home. All right, so now we know kind of what's going on in this story. It's a little different than our average experience here. And then I write steps in quotes. So I give you the air quotes because you can't see the screen. For relational ministry. Steps for relational ministry. And I say that because he's told to run. So he's getting his steps in. I'm also telling you that in air quotes because there are no steps for relational ministry. Right? It's not a project. It's not do one, two, and three, and you now have a good relational ministry. It's let the Spirit lead you, and that's the challenge that we're thinking about today. How do we let the Spirit actually lead us into relationship? So the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Can you imagine that? You're walking down the road, and you hear a voice in your head. Let's assume it worked that way. Go run after that car. Seriously? Luckily, it was a desert road. No one was going to see him, so he jogs up to the chariot. And the chariot was probably moving pretty slowly because when they say road, they don't mean road like ours, right? They mean very bumpy road that you could at least get a chariot down, not one that you could go racing a chariot down, most likely. So then Philip ran up to the chariot close enough that he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. How did Philip know he was reading Isaiah the prophet? Most Jewish men had gone to enough schooling and memorized enough scripture that he would probably recognize it. He could probably give you chapter and verse on it. Right? That was a whole different biblical culture going on there. All right. And then questions are good. It's always good to lead with a question. Philip does. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Right? So here's an imit- imitatable action for making relationships with people around you. When somebody brings up something having to do anything with the Bible, with church, with Jesus, with faith, ask them a question about that. What, what do you mean by that? What's, um, what's your belief about that? What's, what's your passion in that area? Are you, are you excited about that or does that scare you? Ask them a question. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asks. And now the door's open. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Sign me up for that one, right? As a pastor, that would be my favorite if someone would say to me, yeah, I need somebody to explain that to me. That's a hint, by the way. You may ask me any time to try and explain things to you. I'm not saying I can. I'm just saying I'd love it if you asked me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, which is probably really good news to Philip because he'd been running along the chariot. And as a non-fond of running person, I'm thinking, please let him sit down so he can explain this to you. And it'll be with a lot more breath. So he's sitting in the chariot with the Ethiopian, talking about Isaiah. And the eunuch says to him, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And so Isaiah 53 is, is um, one of the servant songs. Um, it's one of those parts of, of Isaiah where we're looking at the suffering servant. We're looking at Jesus as the one who is, um, or it foretells Jesus anyways, is the one who is going to suffer, and it was through his suffering that he's going to set people free. 
I've used this passage, Isaiah 53, many times on a Good Friday service because it sort of describes exactly the um, feeling experience of what Jesus was going through as he walks through the cross and as he's on the cross. And so what Philip does was he takes that verse and beginning right in Isaiah 53, he tells this man all the good news about Jesus. And my question is, did he take a course that taught him how to do that? How did he know how to take that verse? Because this is key, right? If someone asks you, what does this mean? And you have that opportunity and you're saying, yeah, I, that's the Bible and it has something to do with Jesus. I'm guessing most of us would be going, uh, call Pastor Eric, he said he liked those questions, right? You may do that, but I don't suggest it. How did Philip know how to take someone from Isaiah 53 to Jesus? Well, the first part was he spent a lot of time in Scripture. That was one of their disciplines. They basically didn't have a choice as a young um, Jewish man. You were learning Scripture. You were learning the Old, the Old Testament anyways. And what does it say in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit was first poured out and all the people started hanging around together, it seemed like all day, right? And they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? They hung around in this stuff. So let's put it into our today's language. They had small groups where when something like this came up, they would have conversations. What would I say in that kind of a context, right? So you hear what I'm saying? The answer isn't ask Pastor Eric, right? I can't help you with all of your relationships. The answer is... Have a context in which you're actually talking about how does Scripture work? What do we believe about this? What do we do with this? How does this connect us with Jesus? And practice those conversations together. The reasons we, we do small groups is so you can practice on each other the exact kind of conversations that might be helpful as you're talking to somebody else. But the other side of this is this, the overall theme of today. As the Spirit leads... Why was Philip talking to this guy? The Spirit led him there. Why was this guy reading Isaiah? The Spirit led him there. Why did he ask the question that he, was, that he asked? Because the Spirit led him here. How did Philip know how to answer this guy? Because the Spirit led him there. Luke tells us that, or Jesus tells us that in the Gospel of Luke. Do not be afraid of what you will say. The Spirit will give you the words. All right? And I was under pressure. And if they ask, find a yes. This is the text. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. Where was this road again? Anyone? In the desert. Where there's lots of water, right? You've been in the desert? Lots of water. Not a problem. Absolutely stunning that there's water. Possibly a miracle. Likely also there were wadis. And a wadi is basically usually a dry channel, right? And every once in a while when rain happens somewhere because the desert does not absorb water, it all comes into these channels and starts running, right? So there's probably, again, very fortuitous or very providential or very led by God. There was water running at this time in that creek that they were able to have, or that wadi, that they were able to have a baptism in. And the eunuch said, look here, sorry, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Let's baptize me. Now, if you grew up in our tradition, you know there's at least three or four rules that tell you you can't do this baptism right now. But Philip does it anyways, right? I was a little bit stunning that the book of Acts didn't read our church order and ask for permission to do the things that they did. A little bit facetious, sorry. There's a verse here, so I'm... Here's the one time in this message I wish you could see the screen. So I have up there the number 37 in square brackets and then a little C behind it in square brackets. Thrilling, isn't it? 
the 37 is verse 37, but verse 37 doesn't exist. There's a footnote, that's the C, that says, then Philip asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, yes, with all my heart. In other words, somebody later added to this passage an official profession of faith so that this could be a legitimate baptism because somebody felt uncomfortable that this poor guy was being baptized without doing a public profession of faith, right? I'm not speaking against doing public profession of faith. I'm certainly not speaking against getting, no, not speaking in favor of getting rid of any of our rules, but recognize that when the Spirit moves, sometimes we have to pause and go, yeah, I think we've got to drop that right now. I think we have to open our minds and, and our hearts to doing something a little bit differently here because the Spirit has moved with power. If somebody comes to you and says, what's standing in the way of me being baptized? Find a way to get them baptized, whether you do it or the church does it or whatever, right? It's not a question of, um, boy, I don't know if you, you qualify yet, right? Because that's not what you do in baptism. You're not baptized because you qualify. I love that we baptize infants because they don't know if they qualify. They don't even know what's happening, right? We have to tell you later. By the way, you were baptized, right? And then you get to own that kind of a thing. When somebody is moved, when the Spirit moves and something starts happening in someone's life, our main job is to go, well, the Spirit seems to be moving here. i got to find a way to step in tune with that Spirit, right? That's got to be the core of how we think because that's how God's going to lead us. I don't know about you, but I wasn't planning at this age in my life or this stage in my life to be walking through a pandemic, leading a large group of people through trying to figure out how do we manage these kinds of things, right? And there's no manual, in case you're wondering, for being a pastor right now. So what is my option? My best option is on my knees in prayer, listening to God. Part of that option is listening to God say, who are you hearing? Where do you need to go? What are the voices that are are coming for you to understand? And most importantly, it's seeing, where do I see and sense and experience God being powerfully at work in the words and thoughts of this person, right? Pay attention to those kinds of things because those are the ways that God speaks. Now, the hardest part for us, I think in our tradition, because we have things like a church order that tells us how to do things, is that we actually want there to be clarity. I'm hearing this a lot in all that's going on politically right now. Why didn't the government know how to do this? Why didn't the police know how to do this? Why didn't these people know how to do this? Why didn't the medical community know how to handle a pandemic? It's because we're in brand new territory and we don't know yet, right? I tend to empathize, uh, yeah, empathize with the leaders because I'm in a leadership position. Most of leadership is making, uh, making decisions based on not enough information to make the right decision. That's why it's called a leadership decision because you're thinking we could go here or here. I think we need to go there. Let's go there, right? And for people who like making decisions, like I do, when you make a bad decision, the best news is you probably get to make another one right after that to correct it and get on a better path. So listening to the Holy Spirit is not actually going to take that tension away, right? If you know groups that say, hey, we just follow what the Spirit's leading, it's quite fascinating because there's also a group over here and one over there, all of whom claim to be following the Holy Spirit and have a little different sense of what he's saying. This takes a long, trusting discernment with each other and with the Lord. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and if you can put all that together and make a decision that you think is best, you got a pretty good chance of being on that right path, but it takes energy. It's simple to understand. Listen to God. Let the Spirit lead you. It's difficult to do. It's not easy. you got to lean into it.
So he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. Philip baptized him. He brought him into the kingdom. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. So, I don't know about you, but if I get to lead somebody into a relationship with Jesus, I kind of want them to hang around because there's just a beauty, a glow that happens when somebody's life is transformed in that kind of a way. And Philip gets wished away. And, and I can imagine that if I was coming to Christ for the first time and, and learning what it means to follow Jesus, I'd kind of like the guy who baptized me and explained Scripture to me to hang out just a little bit longer so I could figure out, well, what do I do now? What's the next step? How, how, do, I, how do I process what you've given me here? And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. And he went on his way rejoicing because he had experienced the fullness of transformation in his life that was going to allow him to carry on. There's a decent chance that as this guy went to Ethiopia, there's a very good chance he went through Egypt. There's a good chance he actually had some conversations along the way there because have you heard of the Coptic church? The Coptic church is the um, Egyptian church, and the Egyptian church in Alexandria first was one of the strongest outposts of the church. We don't have a whole lot in our Bible about it. There's a little bit in our history books about it. But there's a decent chance that this guy with his authority and his ability to read and his education and his influence managed to start church down in that direction. We don't know. Nothing more is said about it. But the book of Acts starts with, and you'll, <coughs> excuse me, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this fellow was from one end of the earth. Ethiopia at that time was the end of the world, right? He went on that way. And Philip, it says, Philip appeared at Azotus, which is also on the uh, Mediterranean coast, and he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now Caesarea is the um, port that Herod the Great built. Herod the Great built all kinds of amazing things, but he built a man-made port, quite a feat at his time, um, right on the Mediterranean Ocean, called it Caesarea to honor Caesar. So as a man-made port built by a great and powerful person, it was also the seat of power at that time. Again, he went to the place where from there ships would go to Rome. This was, again, the place from where the gospel would reach the ends of the earth. So think of this. When God calls you into relationship with somebody... Your job is to listen, understand, what is he saying to me? How do I listen? How do I obey? How do I engage in this conversation? To do your part. You might not know whether or not you're talking to somebody who's going to influence great powers in this world or somebody who's just going to maybe influence a few more people. But recognize this. Your small conversation led by the Spirit, your obedient act of entering into that conversation will touch the lives at least of that person likely of those close to them, right, and possibly start multiplying out as the gospel did in the book of Acts. That, in its essence, is the core of what we're meant to be all about. We don't have to hang on to, I don't know, am I doing the biggest thing in the world? We only have to hang on to, am I listening and being obedient and doing the part that I've been called to? Do I trust that the Spirit will lead me? Do I, do I obey when the Spirit seems to be calling me? And am I willing to allow God 
to give me the words as I go along. So, at the beginning of this message, I talked about how, in my opinion, we don't do real well at letting God lead us. Um, as we end this series, we're going to move into our Lenten series, and that's going to be on the spiritual disciplines. So spiritual disciplines are really about taking time to let God lead our lives, to let him speak to us. Right? And we're going to introduce a whole bunch of different ones to you, and as we do so, we're encouraging you to pick up something new, and Pastor Peter will do this in more detail next week, because we want to start practicing, wondering together, how do I best hear from God? And what's kind of a challenging thing that I should try once in a while that helps me hear from God? Right? What kind of practices should I have as a regular part of my life so that I actually hear, if God wants to say to me, go to that road, you know, the desert road, and run by that chariot, I've actually given him time to say that word to me. And as we do this, as we trust God to lead us, don't be surprised if he sends you to some pretty strange places, some people pretty other than you, probably not an Ethiopian eunuch, but somebody other enough that you'll go, this must be in a divine appointment because I wouldn't have planned this. Watch for those moments and please, please, when you experience God leading you in that way, come share with the rest of us. Encourage us that you've seen God at work speaking to you and through you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the gift of your love. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we pray that you would Bless us with the knowledge that you love us so much that you have given us your spirit to guide us, to seal us, to walk with us, to empower us, to give us gifts. And Lord, as we trust that reality, may we lean into it. May we receive from you. May we step out in faith. And may we be your witnesses in your way, at your, beckon, at your beckoning, and with the words that you give us. This we pray, Lord, surrendering ourselves to you, seeking your guidance. In your holy name we pray, amen.